Welcome to the Emerited Podcast, the landowner podcast to empower you with inspiration, new perspectives, and quick tips for your forest management and land ownership journey. So this month, we've been talking all about fire. And if you are brand new to our podcast, I welcome you and I'm so happy you're here. Definitely listen to the last two podcast episodes to, to kind of catch up to speed on the different prescribed burning techniques and you know why you should even bother burning your land. Today, we're going to be talking about of why people don't burn their land. There are so many reasons to procrastinate and excuses, and a lot of them are, you know, really quite valid. All right, you got your weather. Weather is a huge limiting factor when it comes to actually burning your land, because depending on what you have, which we touch on in episode, uh, I think it's 29, where I first get into this fire uh, discussion with y'all, when it comes to burning your land, weather is pretty much your go or no-go factor. So much is so dependent on what it is you're burning, where you're burning, the wind speeds, the humidity factors, how much rain have we been getting. And so I get it. Weather limits our ability to burn tremendously. And we have to work within those parameters that we are given and provided with. But removing that from the table, why don't more people burn? And it reminds me of this Proverbs, Proverbs 26, 13. A sluggard says, there's a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming the streets. And I remember the first time I read that scripture and I was just like, well, that is absolutely ridiculous. Like, well, and then I started thinking, I was like, if they're in Africa, I guess that's very possible. It could be true. You know, I can't doubt it. But assuming you're not in Africa, it's really an example of how ridiculous our excuses sound. You can't go do something because there's a quote unquote fierce lion in the road. No, you just really don't want to do it. And that's fine, but just say you don't want to do it. And that's that's exactly what I'm going to be talking about here when it comes to fire on our land. Just say you're not comfortable with fire. And again, in episode 29, I talk about how to determine if you should actually use fire on your land. But coming up with plenty of excuses of, you know, fire is gonna get out of control and it's gonna burn up absolutely everything. And we let our imaginations go absolutely wild of like, oh, well, we can't because of the animals. That's usually probably one of the biggest excuses, which actually ties really well with this lion proverb now that I think about it. But the animals, where will the animals go? And I don't wanna burn up everything they have when you're neglecting that that is the exact reason why you are burning the land. Burning the forest, doing an intentional, right, as best prepared as you possibly can, prescribed burn, is going to do more for that wildlife, is going to do more for those animals than almost anything out there, with the exception of maybe logging, of course. I gotta give my logging a shout out anytime I can. We all know that. But outside of that, that is probably one of the basic excuses I hear is the poor animals. And just like when it comes to timber harvesting, the poor animals, where will they go? We're ruining everything for them. The smoke and the fire makes them run out. And now I, I will say too, there are certain parameters where we choose not to burn because of the animals. Uh, in the springtime, 
you will not see prescribed fires in most cases. Why? Because you have those baby animals. You have nesting birds. You have your fawns on the ground who are less likely to get up and run. You have, um, you know, clutchlings, hatchlings, all the other different lings that you can think of out there that just aren't capable of going. And so there are certain parameters that biologists would be like, do not burn during this time frame because of the animals. But outside of that specific time frame for that specific species, saying you're not burning for the animals is really just an excuse and just as a type of excuse as the sluggard saying they can't do something because of the lion in the road. Now why, why would I say that? Let's talk about all the benefits that fire is actually providing those different wildlife species. All right, fire is renewing the landscape. It is taking everything that's out there and burning it down essentially, or killing certain species that we no longer want there. And fire is going to promote most likely your native diversity. There's a lot of different understory as well as um, your, your, your canopy, your large, mature forests, think of like longleaf pine, that maybe start off very small and require fire to actually stimulate it. The same is very true for different types of grasses and forbs and herbaceous plants that need fire to stimulate them to actually get going. Fire actually causes more diversity, more seeds to flourish than what you'll see when you remove fire from that landscape. And this, this is true. I don't have the exact science research to be able to provide you. I get asked all the time, where's your science research? And I'm not a researcher. I know it's there, but I can't point you to the exact article per se. So if you want that exact article, I do highly recommend going to your extension or your professors who are definitely way smarter than me that can point you to those specifics. But nevertheless, that doesn't make it not true. Adding fire to the landscape is going to diversify your grasses, your forbs, your herbaceous plants. It's going to remove a lot of times those invasives, those monoculture type landscapes that's out there. And that is overall going to allow your wildlife to thrive so much more because they eat the new growth. All right, so they eat the new green, they eat the new growth. That is what's most palatable to most wildlife species. And so when you remove that fire, you allow everything to continue to grow up. Now you have a lot of woodiness on the bottom that the, the low animals, the smaller animals are not able to reach. And even some deer, you know, when you start seeing deer on their back legs and they're reaching up trying to get the new growth of those blueberries and, and olive bushes, it's because they're trying to get that more palatable leaves. They don't want to eat the brown sticks and the, the old mature green leaves. They're not as nutritious. They're not as... Um, delicious, honestly, to them compared to the new growth, that first year's growth. And so fire is going to reset everything to the ground. It's going to be a lot more accessible to everything that's out there, a lot more palatable. Plus you are adding in the diversifying factor of what you're uh, gaining out there. You take fire out of the landscape and we really start to see, especially when it comes to terms of invasives, that they're really able to, to start to uh, thrive and spread across. And this is when you'll see just kind of one type of plant, one type of grass that's out there, just completely dominating the, the understory landscape. Well, Danielle, is that really so bad? That's exactly how your pine plantations are, aren't they? They're just monocultures as well. Well, 
it's a it's a matter of perspective and technically you're right pine plantations are monocultures but when you manage that understory you really help the overall ecosystem still you can have that balance of your timber profit maximizing that income maximizing your timber products while also having a thriving and improving wildlife habitat and understory there plus also recognize that we don't have plantations on every square inch of absolutely everywhere you still have your best management practices that account for your streams your creeks your ponds your depressions and leaving those different pockets those different streams and um, lines kind of cutting through all your different plantations which are diversifying the landscape as a whole so that statement of your pine plantations are monoculture so what's the big deal about the understory too well when you say for example you have both of those at the same time now you only have two different types of species and you are really limiting on what you're able to to allow to thrive out there when in terms of wildlife here you add fire to that you remove that understory monoculture we're still going to keep our pine plantations because i'm a pine girl i love them they are a great revenue source in most of the case the animals don't actually care what type of pine tree it is with a few exceptions, okay? I understand the red-cockaded woodpecker likes mature, older pine. It tends to be in longleaf pine, but it's also not subjective to only longleaf pine. It doesn't care if it's a slash pine. It cares more about the size and kind of the, the structure of the tree to be able to support its cavities, not if it's a longleaf or a slash. And so uh, that's a little bit off course here. Now that I've beaten this dead horse essentially about how fire is actually helping the animals rather use rather than using the excuse that fire you're not going to use it because of the animals using fire because of the animals i'm just essentially taking your excuse and flipping it on its head let's now look at some other excuses that don't sound as ridiculous when we say them but in hindsight when you actually do a deeper reflective again sound just like the sluggard talking about the lion in the road fear of causing a wildfire. Now, I'm not saying that this isn't a valid fear. This is a valid concern in some cases. It's a valid concern when you don't use fire appropriately, when you don't burn your stand in the appropriate way, you don't put the appropriate safety parameters of having your fire breaks and using your resources to make sure you're burning on the right days. That is a real concern. But simply being scared to use fire because you quote unquote don't want to cause a wildfire, this is when your excuse, when you actually reflect on it and realize that putting fire in your forest more often, more consistently, will actually, again, we're going to flip that excuse on its head, will actually reduce the intensity of wildfires you have. Now, why is this? This is because you, again, are bringing all of that fuel load back down. And the more consistently you can add fire, you're able to keep that fuel load, which remember the fuel load is essentially the thing that burns. What is burning out there? What is combustible? And you're like, well, everything's able to burn out there. That is true. But if you have a ton of little sticks and a lot of leaves, those are gonna burn a lot faster than your big trees, your big logs. But when you compile all of this together and they starts to add up year after year after year and you got a lot of thickness out there, and because you removed fire from that landscape, you maybe have less uh, desirable species of understory, less desirable plants and shrubs. Now you may also have more highly, what's called highly combustible, plants actually growing out there and thriving out there. Now I'm really thinking in like South Georgia terms where we have our Tai Tai and your gallberry, which are very waxy 
plants, but the waxiness also has this oil component. And so when they catch fire, that fire actually kind of intensifies when the fire hits them because of the oil in their leaves. And so it intensifies, and then of course it settles back down after the fire passes through those. But you can see how if you have an entire stand of gallberry, an entire stand of tai tai, that fire can get very, very intense. And you continue to let those types of plants and shrubs grow they're going to get bigger that fire is going to get bigger when that wildfire does happen but if you keep prescribed burning prescribed fire in that forested landscape you're now not allowing those types of shrubs to grow bigger and bigger you're not allowing them to dominate your understory landscape you're gonna have maybe some intense spots still where you're gonna have some gallberry plants here, maybe a little bit of tai tai, maybe you got some salt palmettos which are catching up. Um, so you're gonna have these intense spots, but on the whole, you're gonna greatly reduce the intensity of what fire is gonna be doing out there simply because you've removed the intensity and the amount of fuel load. You've removed the amount that's capable to intensely burn. It's shorter, you've got it less than hip height, so now your flames aren't gonna get nearly as big. You have consistently burned it, so now you have more diversity that thrives in fire, but doesn't necessarily cause the fire to burn hotter in that area. Again, compared to some very specific species, and I'm thinking in Southeast Georgia again, um, our gallberries, you will get that actually to catch on fire. It is a very hot fire. You don't have the entire stand of it. You have this nice mix of different grasses and herbaceous plants that are going to ease that intensity across the whole. Plus again, your gallberry is going to be much shorter rather than head high or taller at this point. So using that excuse of, I don't wanna burn because I'm afraid of wildfires is only hurting you. You were allowing that prophecy essentially to come into place because you've removed fire away from your land when you do get fire because fire is pretty much inevitable it's not a if i get it it's a when i get it simply because of lightning storms lightning causes fires all the time now i pray that your wildfires are a quarter acre or less and that the ranger is able to get there or it naturally burns out but it does come down to a when factor, not an if factor. And if you have been adding fire to the landscape as often as you could, adequately, appropriately, you are going to naturally have less intense wildfires. So again, throwing that excuse out the window. Now, which excuses are very valid to not use fire? I talked about them again in the episode of should I use fire? And I'm gonna reiterate them here for you. If you're in a sensitive area, if you have some sensitive locations where smoke is a great concern, this is not saying that you absolutely should never use fire, but it is a valid concern that completely does restrict your opportunities to, to burn because of that smoke factor. Now, what are sensitive sites? Sensitive sites are essentially what would greatly impact smoke. Where can you really not have smoke or it's gonna be pretty devastating to either individuals and the community. And I want you to think of airports. Airports don't do well with smoke. The planes can't see, all right? Then you have your interstate highways. You can have a little bit of smoke, but when the smoke gets very intense, it can obviously can cause car crashes and car crashes are a great concern for liability wise but obviously we also just don't want to cause any harm to anybody else just to burn our understory out there and so recognizing that as a sensitive site and avoiding putting smoke on any type of interstates and major highways is a wise decision 
other sensitive sites, your hospitals, hopefully that one's kind of obvious there, your schools, your daycares, your nursing homes, all of these hopefully are fairly obvious reasons of why you would want to avoid putting major smoke onto those um, sensitive locations and sites, at least on purpose. And if you perhaps are completely 360 surrounded by all of these, then you know, you probably have a very valid reason of why you can't use fire on your landscape. But I would probably guess that that's not going to be the case for 95% of us. You might have one direction that you really can't burn in because of one of those things. Maybe you even have two. And I'll even say I've worked with a landowner who had three directions that they had sensitive sites within, but they had one that they could. Now, did that greatly restrict their ability to burn? Yes, yes it did. And there may be even some years that they're just really not able to. But the more often you can throw fire out there, I promise you, you're gonna get much better results. You're gonna be happier with the wildlife. You're gonna have greater habitat diversity and you're actually going to reduce your wildfire impact. So my question for you today is, what excuses are you using or have you thought up in your head of why you shouldn't be using fire on the landscape, why you aren't adding fire to your tracks. Are you like the sluggard in Proverbs 26 saying that there's a line on the road? Is your excuse valid? Or are you just creating this excuse? I keep saying the word excuse. I'm very aware of this. I don't know another word to say besides excuse. But are you just using and leaning on these reasons simply because you just don't want to. If you don't want to, just say you don't want to and that's fine, but don't use these reasons. Or do you have valid concerns and valid restrictions that is going to greatly re, um, limit your opportunities? That's your question for today. I want you to reflect on that. We got one more podcast for October that I'm gonna be hitting on fire and then we will be going back to our regularly tuned podcast themes. Until next time.